We're in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, beginning with the first verse, and I want you to listen really carefully because we're going we're gonna to interact again today, okay? It's all right, we're, but we're going to interact. We're going we're gonna to talk about this together some. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the very presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you might, might know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We're going to stop there. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning. What do you notice in that very first phrase or a couple of sentences? He's a Jewish leader, okay? He's a Jewish leader, right? He's a Pharisee, okay? And Pharisees, we, you know, we often, we often use this phrase uh, in our culture, you know, oh, that person's being a Pharisee. We, we've, really, we've really given Pharisees a bad name. Um, but to, to be really honest... Um, most of those of us sitting in this room in that culture would have been considered Pharisees because we're like church-going people. <laughs> we cut our grass. We basically follow the rules. We, we mostly pay our taxes. Um, you know, we, we, we do those things that we're supposed to do. And that's what Pharisees were. They really were seeking to follow the law of God as they best could understand it. Now, of course, Jesus challenges them because they'd sort of lost the intent, he believes, they'd lost the intention of the law. 
but they were really truly seeking to do what they thought was right and good according to according to Jewish law. And so here, so so Nicodemus then is a leader of the Pharisees apparently. So so just know that. So he's sort of a community leader if you think about it. Maybe even think about it as, as you know one of our elders or something in the church. And so then, but here's this here's this Jesus who has just in the Gospel of John, just come from taking a whip through the marketplace of the temple. I mean, he's just torn things up, and then he's doing all these other signs. We don't really know what they are. The only sign that we know of right so far um, in the Gospel of John is he turns water into wine in, in Cana. But he must have been doing other signs. He's, he's ripped up the marketplace in the temple, and then... It comes to this. So here's Nicodemus. So then, so then, what, what else? What else do you notice then in the next in the next little thing? It was night, night, right? So here's here's the thing. Gospel of John, Gospel of John. Light and darkness. Pay attention. He's not very subtle. Okay. In general, light, good; darkness, bad. So light and darkness, it's in John, it's, it's really, it isn't very subtle. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's, I mean, it's not black and white, but, it's, but it's, it's not too subtle. Something happens in the dark, pay attention. Something happens in the light, pay attention. Next week, next week, the Samaritan woman, um, this divorced woman, um, pay attention to the light. Pay attention to the light. So we have, right, so he comes, so he comes in the darkness. Why, why do you think he comes at nighttime? Didn't want anybody to see him, right? Right? Self-revelation here. There are many times when I do not share, when people ask me what I do, I do not tell them right away that I'm a pastor. Why? One, usually people then go, oh, I'm so sorry for cursing. <laughs> and I always then say to them, well, if, it's, if you know it's wrong, why are you doing it? I, you know, whatever. Um... Or then they ask me, well, why were you just cursing? I, you know, I, one of those two, so I'm in trouble no matter what. And then the other thing is, is I, you know, it, 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 it's, like, it's like, well, then all of a sudden I've got to enter into their world of Christianity. Right? And I'm not always prepared. I'll be really honest. I'm not always prepared to deal with whatever's coming at me. Because um, I've, had, I've had some wonderful things come at me. Oh, that's so wonderful. I mean, I bet that's a fulfilling career or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then I've had, like, well, what church are you a part of? You know, have you been baptized correctly? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, just, you're like, okay. So which one do you want to handle? Comes to him in darkness. Um, there are a lot of believers who, who sort of, we sort of covertly come to Jesus. <laughs> we, sort of, we sort of covertly practice or Christianity. But he comes to it at night. I mean, he's, I mean, he represents the establishment, and Jesus represents disruption. And so, you know, to be seen as a leader and, and going to this man who we don't know what he's doing, we don't know what he's up to, um, could cause problems for, for Nicodemus. So let's go on. What next? What else do you what else do you see as you read a little farther forward? What's that? Calls him rabbi. Calls him rabbi, right? Which is basically teacher. Teacher. So that it is I mean he he shows him respect. 
with that because you wouldn't just you just don't you don't just call anybody in this culture rabbi. Um, I don't know that the rabbinical culture is as fully formed in Jesus's time as it is later, but rabbis were held with with great esteem. Um, they they there was there was usually lots of jockeying if you were a young man um, to try to become. Um, to try to become a disciple of, of, of a rabbi, because that meant you were going to enter into that class of people. You, were gonna in, you, you, know, you might be able to supersede your own tribe to become part of, part of that class of people, to become, part, to become a rabbi, and that you might even perhaps become a rabbi yourself. We, we believe that, that boys um, early on... Um, at home, were taught the first five books of the Bible by rote. So at a very young age, they, would, they, they, had, they had the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, uh, memorized. And part of that was then so that they could go and, and study with a rabbi, potentially. What's interesting, then, in correlation to that, is that Jesus doesn't, doesn't, go, um, doesn't go seeking young men you know, boys, basically, to be his disciples and to teach them and to raise them up. He goes to adults who've already not been, not become disciples of some other rabbi. Very interesting. So, um, so what else? What, what, what's next? What do you see? We, oh, we, oh, we know. Oh, very interesting. Yes, we have a biblical scholar in the room. Yes, he notices the plural. He doesn't say I. What do you think about that, Nate? What do you think? Do you think there's anything going on there? I mean, I think there are multiple interpretations, right? It could be maybe he's not actually a woman, maybe it's a girl. Or it could be he was sent by the Pharisees, collected to like, but they don't want to toss the authority that that would require giving. Okay, so, so maybe he isn't alone, or maybe he's come on behalf of, of, his, of, of, his, of his fellow Pharisees. Interesting, okay. We don't really know. They both are teachers. Right, they're both teachers, okay. Right, oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. What else? Keep coming with more, more stuff. Keep, we can just keep moving forward. We don't have to stay on anything. I'm, I'm, I'm going where you're going, so. He acknowledges he's from God. Like, just like says, we know you're from God. Right, so yeah, so we know, we know you're from God. Like, he's, he, isn't it interesting, Rabbi? We know that you're from God. I mean, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, can you imagine yourself going to some teacher and just been going, "Well, I know, you, I know that you're that what you're saying is from God. I can just tell." And I don't see that happening very often <laughs> in our lives, right? We might say, "Wow, that was really amazing," you know. Um, there've been very few times in my life as a pastor where people have come up, up to me after a sermon and said, "Joel, I know that was from God." They might have said, that was a really good sermon, that really spoke to me, but they, but they, they I don't know if they've ever really said, I really think that came from God. Um, so just, and I, think that's, I think that's very interesting. All right, yeah. Was he being sincere? Was he trying to set him up maybe a little bit? Mm. They try to trip Jesus up at times by asking questions. So I wonder if he was even being sincere or if he was just trying to... It's a good question. Yeah, is he is he is he sort of laying out the primrose path, as we would say? Like, is is he leading him into some, saying something, you doing something that, 
That isn't, yeah, because we know that in other, in other places, at least, what the Pharisees do is characterized as sort of tricking Jesus, uh, leading him into something. That's, that's good, yeah. So, I mean, we can read lots into, the, into that. All right, what else? Keep going. It's interesting that Jesus begins both of his replies to the question, I tell you the truth. Oh. Very truly, I tell you, yes. Ah, yes, I tell you the truth. What, what version are you reading there? Is that the NIV? NIV? Does that say, I tell you the truth? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I tell you the truth. Huh. Right. Well, this is a very, I mean, again, we haven't gotten there yet, but this is a pretty, this is a pretty uh, controversial, in some ways, uh, phrase right here that Jesus says. And what is it? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven, and I want to hear what your other translations have. I assure you. Other other translations. No one. I assure you. No one can enter or no one can see the kingdom of heaven without being. What do you have? Born again. Born of what in the spirit? Born anew. Born from above. Right. It, that word means all of those. Not to muddy the waters any, but that, literally, but that, that, it means all of those. It means all those. What's fascinating, though, is which, which one of those does Nicodemus get focused on? Born again, the physical. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, later he says, and, he's, and even later Jesus says, I'm talking to you about stuff that like, you should be able to understand. Like, I'm, not, I'm not really trying to get all metaphysical on you. I'm talking about stuff that you ought to be able to understand. Do you not get it? Are you not educated? Don't you understand? And he says, are you not a teacher of Israel? And we know that he is. Like, this is not somebody who is stupid in the scriptures. Did they believe that about being born again? They didn't for the for the Pharisees or all that. There wasn't there there wasn't any of that. I, I forget what their teaching on bat, on baptism was. I mean, there because there is in the in the Jewish faith there are ritual washings that we would that we would equate in some ways to to, to a similar rite as baptism, but it's not doesn't didn't have the same meaning necessarily. Um, so for him, so here this is really one of the first times you sort of see this thing and then and then he gets focused on being born again being born again and a physical part of it like can you go back in your mother's womb you know can you can you go back in your mother's one of the it was awesome when i was researching this and i was looking into children's messages they were like bring a baby (laughs) and like talk about being born again and i was like I don't see this working for me. <laughs> like, a bunch of kids trying to explain. Like, have you, the parents even talked about this with their kids? Like, I'm not going to do this. You know? But it is, I, mean, I think, because, because when you hear born again, you, it, does, it, go, it does go to the physical, doesn't it? it you, when you think about it that way, you think about being physically born again. And then, and then there is this, um, I mean, and then and the word in the Greek... I mean, it, it, it can mean born from above. It can be, mean born anew. And so I, I think in some ways, especially born anew, that's something that we can really wrap our heads around. Because how many times have, have you heard somebody say, I just feel like a new person. 
I just feel like a new man. Man, I went to the spa. Got that cucumber wrap. You know, or, or I just came back from, you know, I just came back from the mountains. I just came back from vacation. I feel like a new person. You know, there, there are all kinds, I mean, there, there are ways that we can relate to this in terms, of, in terms of being born anew. And it does have something to do with the Spirit. Because most of the time when people are saying, um, I feel like a new woman, I feel like a new man. Um, I mean, they're not just talking about the, the scrub that they had on their face and now they look all bright and shiny. There's something spiritual about it, even though they might not admit it. That their spirit has been lifted. That the way they feel is different. That there's something about being born anew that changes us and that we can recognize in some of these little these little bitty ways um, in our lives. And um, very true, no one, can, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven, let me get it right, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom. Wow. That's interesting. Born anew, born again, born from above, unless you are like children. What I mean, children often have this spirit about them, don't they? I mean, in general, if you throw young kids into, the, into a playground, they play with each other. Now, when they're like this, they might play next to each other, but they're generally not moving away because somebody looks different or, 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 or is of a different color or something like that. that there, there's something about the spirit of a child that accepts things differently, that judges things differently than we do as adults. I just think, that's, I think it's interesting. Now, what have we done with the born-again thing, though, in our culture? We've made it what? An in and out. Right, we've made it an in and an out. Say more about that. If you're born again, you're one of the in crowd, right? Right. Not born again, you're one of the out crowd. Right. 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 Well, so, yeah, so there is this thing. I mean, um, you know, have you ever been asked if you were born again? Yeah. It depends on where you are as to whether it's a stigmatism or whether it's a positive. Right. Right. Political view. Right. Well, right. And their and their theological view of what that means, because because for some for some theological understanding, if you haven't been born again, you're not really a Christian, and they mean born again in a very particular way. You know, you were born again. You had some amazing lightning bolt experience, and then you were you were sl- you were probably then 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 dunked under the water in a big tub or in the in in the river. You know, not just some sprinkling or something like that. Where you know. Um, I saw a baptism recently where you know the um, the pastor like like reached in the reached in the in the bowl and and goes like this and like patted it on the head of the kid and I'm like I just I can't do it. That's as valid as you know it's a, it's a it's baptism it is but but you know me like let's use some water. Let's use some water, but but we get we get all these different great based on this thing. I, um, I don't think this is a command. 
I think it's an invitation to be born anew. And personally, I, I think in the scripture, even though we talk, you know, we talk about one baptism, one faith, one Lord, all that, all that theologically, absolutely. But in terms of being born anew, I, I really believe that every day, every day we have a chance to be born anew in Christ. To enter into this life. I don't know about you, but it takes me about 24 hours to lose my faith. Maybe less. You know, I mean, it just, it's just, I, I need refreshment every day. Why do, we, why do we talk about everyday disciplines? Because every day is a new day. Every day we need refreshment. Every day we need sustenance. You know, oh, well, I ate Sunday. I don't need to eat for another week. You know? We, we, do, that, we do that on a daily, regular discipline of things. And so how, how might we enter into a discipline or into a way where we could be born anew in Christ every day to be able to see the kingdom of God? All right, we spent a lot of time on that. So again, then Nicodemus goes into, well, how can anybody be born after having gone old? Can you enter again into a mother's womb and be born? Blah, blah, blah. Very truly, I tell you, or I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Um, was born of the flesh is flesh, what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above, or born anew, or born again. Um, ah, then this interesting phrase, the wind blows where it chooses. Well, in the Bible, what, I mean, what's a correlation for the wind, usually? The spirit. The spirit, or the breath of God. In, in the Old Testament, it's ruach. And that's the, when, God breathe, when God takes the mud and forms up the first human and breathes in, it's the ruach, the breath of God, the wind of God goes in and animates Adam, Adam, and creates. And then we believe that we are animated by that same spirit. And in baptism, it is given to us in a powerful way as we enter into a new life given by Christ in that sacrament. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. Um, every, time I go, every time I go back to, to that, this passage here, I think about growing up in Nebraska where the wind blows a lot, a lot more than it does here. Um, I was talking to my sister who lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and, and she was saying um, on that day that they were having 75-mile-per-hour gusts. Not usual, but the wind blows there a lot more than it does where I grew up. But, just, but you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. It can be just kind of do-do-do-do-do, and all of a sudden, whoosh, blow you off your bicycle. You know, Move the truck over in the, in the highway. The wind blows where it chooses. So think about that power. I think that's one of the things that I get from that. Is like, think about the power of God through the Spirit in that. The wind blows where it chooses. You don't know where it's going. It's like Abraham, you know, God says, go to where, the place where I'm going to send you. We don't have any clue where the path of life ends. None. What we're doing right now, where we're living right now, how we're feeling right now, that can all change. The wind blows where it chooses. The Spirit can lead us into new and amazing ways. But oftentimes, it's through the challenge and the struggle that we grow the most, which isn't a lot of fun. 
until you get to the other side of it. But the wind blows where it chooses. We can be born anew and afresh in all kinds of ways when we seek that new life. And then I love it. I'm moving forward a little bit here. Nick, is there something else you, want, you saw in there you want to talk about before I move on? Yeah. I don't understand why it's translated wind. We have the same word earlier. It's pneuma. It's spirit. It's wind. Mm. I don't understand why, it's, why we have the same word translated two different ways in the same Right, right. Translator's license. Very good catch, thank you. Again, my biblical scholar over there, looking up the Greek. Excellent. Yeah, so it is. It's the same word. Pneuma, spirit. Pneuma, wind. Same thing. That's why it's, that's why it's sometimes nice to dig in and, and read a bunch of different versions to see how it gets translated differently, because you might catch something like that. Or if you get a chance to, if you can look at the original languages and know anything about them, um, it's fun to see that, too, because there are, there are so many translations. So Nicodemus, here he is, this learned man. So, here's, so here he is, Ph.D. in, 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 in the law. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, How, what? Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I tell you about things that we know, and you don't receive our testimony. I've told you about earthly things you do not believe. How are you going to believe about heavenly things? And then, he, and then he goes into then he then he goes into the Son of Man and and about Moses being lifted up. Do you know? I mean, do you know the story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness? That there there were snakes and people were getting bit and they were dying. And so the command was to basically lift lift up this serpent on a pole. It's a weary, strange. We we think it foreshadows Jesus, but it, that's probably us looking back. But he puts this serpent up on this pole and people look at it and they they don't die from the from the bite. It's a it's a salvific, it's a saving, literally, sort of thing that happens. And, but Jesus says just, and so he, Jesus makes the correlation, just as the serpent had to be lifted up, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up to save all people. That whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, one of the things that's been hijacked in, in our culture is the word belief especially in the late 19th and, and, and 20th century, um, and, and maybe, even, maybe even sometime earlier after the Reformers, uh, is that belief became something about your head, not necessarily about your heart. It became more of a noun than a verb. You know, as we developed the confessions, you know, um, people were saying, well, if you, just, if you believe this, if you believe that, with your head, then that means you're saved, that means you're born again, that means you're this, that means you're that. didn't necessarily meant that you needed to believe it with your heart, that it had any effect on, your, on what you were doing in the world necessarily. Again, I'm drawing this very black and white. It's probably not that black and white. But I do think we have to be careful when we hear the word believe because for us it can, we can be taught, and I, was, I think I was sort of taught when I was growing up that belief was just sort of a mental thing. Now, I grew up in the Lutheran church. I mean, you know, we don't let anybody who doesn't have a master's degree preach. In Presbyterian church, we don't let anybody who doesn't have a master's degree preach. I mean, we just don't. Or very rarely. We're very careful about this educational thing. We want to get it right. And sometimes we miss getting it right in our hearts. So you have to be careful. In the Gospel of John, belief is never just a noun. It is a verb. It's about your heart, about what you do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him might hold up signs at football games. Right? 
You see us all the time, right? John 3.16. I love it. It's like, it's hilarious to me in some ways. Because I wonder if people who don't know the Bible are like, what, who's John 3? Is that, is that a player on the field? And why are they putting 16 after it? I don't what does that even mean, you know? Like, as if that means something to somebody, except for those of us that are on the inside. <laughs> Head stuff, heart, got to get it out. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. This is crucial here. We often read the first John 3.16 without John 3.17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I mean, it's easy to condemn the world, right? Except for my world. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can e- easily look around and go, that's wrong, 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 I'm right. And just sort of live my life, you know, buff chest out there, Lego Batman, all on my own, you know, just doing my own thing, don't need anybody. But that's not how we're called to live. That's not how we're called to live. God is inviting us into a new life, into being born anew and afresh, not just once, but many, many, many times, perhaps every day. And we have opportunities to, to walk in that newness of life. And, and like Abraham, we may not know where we're going and how it's going to work out. I want to give you an example of that in this church. A couple of years ago, um, we, we were approached by um, a Boy Scout troop. And this Boy Scout troop had been at, at, at housed at another congregation, had been supported by that congregation for over 30 years. And I don't know if you know this, but, but in, the, in the past couple of years, the Boy Scouts have changed a lot of their rules and regulations. And, and one of the things was is that they, they made it so that each troop, much like the Presbyterians do, um, Presbyterian churches do, at least in our denomination, allow you to choo- you know, choose your leaders and, and, and that they could allow folks who were gay, men who were gay, to be leaders in the troop if they so chose to allow them to be leaders. And that boys who were gay could be part of the Cubs and, and part of the troop. Well, of course, you know this caused lots of controversy um, in, the, in, the, in the country, in the world, among Boy Scouts and all of that. Well, for this particular church, that was a no-go for them. This troop that had been a part of their ministry for 30-some years needed to go. Or else they had to sign a document that said they would never allow someone who was openly gay to be a leader or, or a boy who was openly gay to actually participate. And you know, the, the, and you know Westminster, we're, we're not a political church, really. We seek to be, we seek to be a Jesus-following church as messy as that is. And so, for whatever reason, the Spirit blows where it will. This troop came to us. And they said, and they just laid it out just like that. They said, you know, we need a home. And it's not because, it's, and it's not because we, have, we have a bunch of gay leaders and we have all this sort of thing, but we, but we don't feel like it's right to keep any boy 
out of this tremendous experience of being taught and to be able to be mentored by other men in a really healthy and wonderful environment. We want to provide that for these young men. And it just so happens, they told me the story, that one man, it just so happens that a recent Eagle Scout of theirs had come back and had come out of the closet. And they said, we would be honored if he came back after he went to college and wanted to be a leader in our group because he is such a fine young person. And so the elders and I prayed on it. And we uh, welcomed that troop. And yesterday, right here, um, the first eagle um, was given in this space for many, many years, but for that troop in this place. And the father, who was the scoutmaster then and now, when he talked about that story of, of two years ago not knowing where they were going to be, he began to cry. And I was here and he told me, on behalf of you, thank you for providing a place where my son can receive his eagle and where these young men can learn the way of scouting. When God calls us into new life, we never know where that road is going. I don't know where that, what that means. Us saying yes to the truth, we, we don't know what that may mean for us. Good, bad, indifferent. But right now, as far as I'm concerned, that was the absolute right decision to make. God is calling us into a new way of life, to being born anew all the time. The wind blows where it will. We do not know where the end of things are. But when we give ourselves to God, we leave what we know to find unknown blessings as we trust in the promise of Jesus. Amen.